0: In the Trauma-Informed Education podcast, you can get great ideas and practical advice for educators. You can get more invaluable insights and free resources by subscribing to our Trauma-Informed PBS monthly newsletter. Visit www.tipbs.com and register your email address. That's tipbs.com. Welcome to Trauma-Informed Education, I'm your host Dr Kay Eyre. Modern teaching practice is no longer modelled on the didactic teaching methods of the past. The days of a single teacher standing at the front of a class of 30 individual desks in a rigid formation is no longer regarded as best teaching practice. Teaching methods are now personalised and student-focused, using an array of activities and modalities Classrooms should now be flexible learning spaces which enable multiple users to work concurrently with multiple purposes. How do you incorporate the specific needs of a trauma-informed approach into the design of a school? That's the question the Oklahoma City-based non-profit organisation Positive Tomorrows asked itself when it was daydreaming about a new building that could meet the needs of its students. Positive Tomorrows has been educating homeless children and providing social services to families since 1989. Today we speak with Gary Armbrister and Amy Brewer. Gary is the Principal Architect and Partner at MA Plus Architecture, which came on the scene in 2013 to help kickstart the design process for the new school. Amy Brewer is the Director of Education at Positive Tomorrows. Gary and Amy will be interviewed by my colleague, Dr. Govind Krishnamurthy and me. I hope you find it useful.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to All Inform Education. My name is Dr. Gavin Krishnamurthy and I'm here as always with Dr. K. Ka. Hi, Kay.
0: Hi, Govind. How are you?
1: I'm good, thanks. Um, good. I'm, e- I'm excited today. We've got uh, Gary and Amy here from Positive Temoras. Um Hi, Gary and Amy. Thank you for joining us. Hello, Hello. thanks for having us. Thank you. No worries. Um, Look, let's just get right into it. Um, I'll go with the first question. Um, Guys, this is a podcast for educators, so we want to start by maybe um, taking turns and asking you about where you went to school, elementary school and secondary school, and how it influences the work you do today. Who would like to go? Gary, did you want to go first? Sure. Age before beauty. Age before
2: beauty. (laughs) Sure. Um, I actually, well, we're coming to you from Oklahoma in the United States, and I uh, grew up in a state south of here called Texas and grew up in a very rural environment, a small school um, out in the middle of nowhere, Um, and so I moved to Oklahoma when I was uh, 18, graduated high school, and went to the University of Oklahoma. So I I went to the same school from uh, kindergarten through high school. Um, lived in the same house, that same time frame, and just kind of had a very steady life growing up in a public school environment. Um, so I had a pretty normal childhood, and then went to the University of Oklahoma. got my bachelor's in sociology and my master's degree in architecture.
3: Gary was going to be a dentist. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I can't go into that, but yes, I was <laughs> going to be a dentist at one point in my life.
3: <laughs> um. Uh, Let's see. Um, So my story is a little similar. to Gary is just like the all-American boy, but I was born in South Africa and um, my siblings went to an American school there. By the time I was four, we moved back to the States and um, I spent most of my life in Lawrence, Kansas, which is just a state just north of here. And with the exception of one year, I was in that same school district. Um, So I was in the same school district. 12 out of my 13 years, um, went to college there too, and then uh, moved to Chicago for graduate school, did my master's there in um, elementary teaching and learning and then moved down to Oklahoma for love. Um, I think that one thing Gary and I were talking about before this is that we were both products of public schools and we positive tomorrow as a private school and we have elected to send both of our children, our both sets of children to private school. And that's kind of been just sort of interesting for me. I something I never thought I would do because I am formerly a public school teacher. Um, so we sort of have that in common that we both grew up through the public school system and then kind of went a different route. So,
1: yeah. oh, That's great. Thank you for that. Um, did you want to sort of set the context for us and tell us a bit about Poster Tomorrow's, um, how it was developed and what it is?
3: Sure, so, uh, and if I leave obvious things out, please stop and ask me. So Positive Tomorrow's is Oklahoma's only tuition-free elementary school and social service agency serving families that are experiencing homelessness. So um, our families live in very, um, really day-to-day kind of situations. So we have families that live in emergency shelters, Uh, We have families that are called couch homeless, which means hopping around place to place. It can also mean living somewhere that's not meant for human human habitation, so a dilapidated garage, a foreclosed-on home. We have kiddos that sleep in bus vestibules, in in their family's car, um, all those kinds of things. Uh, We started in 1989 as really a community collaborative And at that time, we were part of the public schools and we were a very transitional facility. Um, This is kind of when some of our laws are gonna come into play. So at that time, there there still is some federal education legislation called the McKinney-Vento Act, which sort of helps give money to the public schools to mitigate some of the effects of homelessness. So maybe some help with uniforms and, you know, field trip money and all these kinds of things. And that's the money that we were using Um, at that time. When another piece of federal legislation was passed, No Child Left Behind, we were in violation of that act because we were segregating students based on their homelessness and we lost our federal funding overnight. Now, I would say we were in the spirit of the law and that we were providing a lot more wraparound services. Um, However, our students were were self-selecting to be segregated so we could not accept federal funds anymore. We operated as an after-school program um, for one year, and then we had some major funders step up, um, and we were able to reopen as we are now, which is we're a nonprofit here, we're our we're tax exempt, we're a 501c3, and we are um, completely donor-funded with the exception of about sixty thousand U.S. dollars, which we get um, for some federal lunch program reimbursement. So um, we. Uh, when I came on eight years ago, we had about an $800,000 budget and now we operate on a $2 million budget and that's um, that's an important piece because when we talk about um, the building Gary has made that is a one-time expense that our operating costs in the next three years three to probably five years are going to double so we need to scale our fundraising alongside that. So that was sort of the first thing that came up in this September 16th, 2011 board meeting was that understand that that's one capital expense. That's a one time cost, but your operating dollars um, are going to triple. So we are currently um, in addition to, we're an elementary school right now that has a pre-K through fifth grade. In addition to that, we have our social service um, agency attached to us, which we call family support. And that's where our care navigators, um, our case managers, whatever you want to call them, they operate there with our counselors. So every family has um, humans just for them to provide all their support and connect them with all the services that they can access. Um, And that's kind of how we are. We also run an after-school program. We run day camps when school's not in session. So we really, um, with the exception of about three weeks out of the year, we have kiddos and families um, all year round. So that's sort of... In a nutshell, and it's, I'm probably leaving out some really big details. I remember in in New Zealand they would say that there would be no homelessness. So I don't, I'm sure that's different in Australia, but um, it's a pretty, uh, it's a major, major, major problem in this country, particularly where we are. We have um, major transportation barriers because we're in a very expansive metro and we do not have a robust public transportation system. So our families are very isolated. Um, and are not able to connect themselves uh, to the services they need.
2: And it's not something that you, I think the general population thinks about being in uh, the heartland of the United States, as they call it. They think of that being something, a a more big inner city issue Mm -hmm. like New York or L.A. or Portland or Seattle, where you actually see see that a lot. And so Mm -hmm. there's a lot of education around what. Not only you guys do, but other mm-hmm. nonprofits in Oklahoma City do to try to get that um, out there and promoted and have uh, try to find solutions for it.
3: And in this country, you are most likely to be homeless when you're under 12 months old. So um, typically I think people that and, and I was the same way, um, you know when you think of homelessness, you think of the man on the street corner? you know, living in his tent, you know, something like that. And that's absolutely, that's, those are typically chronically street homeless. Um, but, you know, the families with small children, um, they are often unseen, often, because they don't want to be seen, they want to be off the grid, because their biggest fear is having um, their family split up and their children taken away. So,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, sounds like really important work. And we will come back to the um, idea of homelessness and um, the cycle of poverty a bit later on. But uh, I guess part of our chat today was going to focus on uh, your new facility and the process of you designing that and, and the things you uh, think about when designing a school for this population. Um, Gary, what is the process of developing an architectural design uh, of a school. And then it'll be good to get your thoughts about um, what you wanted out of the school, Amy. Uh,
2: completely different than uh, how you would design a public school here. Um, we do a lot of education projects here in Oklahoma for public school clients, um, K through 12, higher ed. Um, with this group, you, with, with public school, you always have parents and parental involvement. Um, With Positive Tomorrows, we knew that that probably wasn't there. You didn't have a parent-teachers association like you have here that you could meet with, or really a community group that you could meet with. Um, So the first thing that I wanted to do was meet with the kids from Positive Tomorrows. I I figured that probably no one ever asks their opinion uh, about very much, and we're designing a school for them. They're the first people I want to talk to. And so that was the first thing we did is we had some uh, meetings with the kids, some dream sessions, we called it, um, where we met with the kids and, and really got in into their classroom. We met with the different age groups multiple times and said, dream about the spaces that, um, that may be your favorite spaces, dream about your future school and, and let's draw it out. And so for some of the kids, they would pick uh, a library or a gymnasium and, and draw it out. But for one student in particular, Kenneth, he was kind of, and I've got a picture of him showing me his drawing and we've got his drawing. We kept all the kids drawings. Um, he, he really thought about the whole school environment. He thought about how you enter the school and, and, and op- go into an open collaborative space with the classroom surrounding it with the library, uh, yeah, around that collaborative space with the maker space and, and just thought about a lot of little details. And I was just amazed all the other kids look like kid drawings and, His was a floor plan I mean he really thought out a lot of details um so that was a neat thing that happened to me I was very impressed with Kenneth and and his his ideas but just the thoughts of um the ideas of tree houses that the kids wanted and and um places where they could sit with their friends and 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 some of the thoughts I'm trying to think of some of the things that the kids said like I can remember
3: the lunchroom talking about this thing so obvious to me but in every public school, you've had one option. There's long rows of tables, and, right. and they talked about, you know, kind of a restaurant. You have a two-top and a four-top. Sometimes I like to eat by myself. Sometimes I want to eat, and I thought, you don't see that. It's so simple. But in a restaurant, you have your choice of, I want a mm-hmm. big group. I just want me. I want just me and my best friend. And I think that was such a simple thing that we don't – I don't see that in the other schools. That No, it's get, them, it's
2: get them in, have them eat quickly, and get them out. Yeah and And so we've created a very flexible, so we do have those kind of tables where big groups can come together. We've got small tables, we've got lounge type tables. But the big thing the kids want is um they wanted to be inclusive and wanted uh, uh, no one to be able to eat alone. so they they didn't want someone stuck in a corner by themselves eating. So we tried to create an environment that was very open and bright and and very inclusive of everybody so. Started out meeting with the students, Um, then we went to the teachers and faculty and met with them. We met with board members, Um, but again, we don't have a parental or community group as part of this, so we we gathered all that information, gathered quite a bit of information. Um, A lot of times I would go to the school and I'd be handed a magazine (laughs) photo or or image from something and say, here, this is what I'm (laughs) thinking. let's do something like this. And there was, I was getting so much information and so many ideas that we actually used Pinterest um, as a planning tool for us and kind of created a site on Pinterest for Positive Tomorrows and invited not only our design team together, but Amy and her staff and whoever Positive Tomorrows wanted to invite board members to have a location that they could put all their images. So we left that open for about 15, 20 days for them to generate their ideas. Then we printed all those ideas, um, got them into categories. So a lot of them were kind of forming themselves into categories where it might be the, oh, this looks like a library, this is a corridor, this is a collaborative environment, a gymnasium, a kitchen, a dining area. And we created our categories. I think we had about 12 total categories, put them on poster board, put them up on a wall, and then have the pictures that maybe offer the library and then next to it, we would have a blank one that correlated to those images. So we could walk around, we divided the staff and the faculty into no more than four or five team members or per group and just let them walk around as as stations and, and let them look at the library board and the gymnasium board to try to go from basically over 200 images that we had and try to narrow those down into a few that would start designing the concepts, the colors, the thoughts, the ideas for the new space. Because sometimes it would be an image and we really didn't know what the purpose of the image was. Was it a color that somebody liked? Was it the furniture that somebody liked? So quickly through that process, we were able to get to the the point really quickly um, and basically narrowed it down from a couple hundred images about 20 or 30 images that were starting. What we were finding is a lot of the ideas that the students had, the idea of a tree house, there was actually a treehouse in some of the faculty images. So we started trying to figure out how can we incorporate the idea, even though we're not a two-story building, can we incorporate a tree house into a one-story facility? And so uh, we could show you some images that we used to create a collaborative learning environment that we're calling the tree house, even though it's on the first floor. Um, areas where we could have a maker space for example um, a food lab as an idea where students and parents could cook together as a family because they don't really have in some of these cases a kitchen that they can not only know how to cook in but be able to cook in as a family so a lot of the ideas came from uh, this Pinterest planning idea because we had so many images and I, I don't think we would have had some of these ideas like the food lab came straight from that Pinterest idea that, yeah. that I don't know that I would have come up with because we don't have those type of facilities in our public schools. We have mm-hmm. a kitchen that the students eat at, but we don't have what I would call a test kitchen or a residential kitchen where people can learn how to cook with their parents.
3: But those yeah. ideas, I think, and I know we're going to talk about anecdotes, but all the things that Gary designed, they sort of were born Ideas the kids would have, and one day um, a volunteer had brought homemade cookies Mm. for lunch. And a kindergartner asked me what homemade meant, and I said, "Oh, okay. So you can, so you kind of have two options. You can go to the store and you can buy cookies that are already made, or you can get ingredients from the store and you can make them, you know, from scratch. And we would call that homemade." And, and so, you know, that was just, they didn't have that idea at all. And so then we thought, okay, that's, that's a teaching opportunity. So, um, you know, and and something I do know about a lot of our kids is um, interesting enough, some of them can really cook because that's much, um, a lot of them are sort of the parents in their home for their siblings. So they do have some skills um, and that, in that way, but we're trying all these sort of concepts and things that the kids would say, we're like, well, then we need a kitchen for that. You know, we need to get them in there doing that. And then we'd say, Gary, can we do this? And, you know, it's kind of, we have parent groups right now and people bring in food and we think, well, if we had our own cooking kitchen, then the parents, we can learn to cook a meal while we're having this parent group, you know? So all these things come up and we think, well, why don't we see if we can toss that in here? Um. And, you know, with Kenneth and his I, – I just wanted to say something about Kenneth. Kenneth um, Kenneth had never been to school before. He came to us um, third grade age, and he stayed with us for three years, third through fifth grade, and he had never been to school, but he would played so much Minecraft that he knew how to yep. space plan and use resources, you know. So – and I we tell that story a lot because he still – you know, he, he was still a creative kid, and he was, in fact, crazy creative, you know, and because there's something I noticed about our children is that um, my children, um, you know, sometimes socialization is, can be negative in terms of, oh, that tree can't be purple, and oh, that'll never work. Well, our kiddos, since they have missed so many traditional and typical kid experiences, they don't they don't know no, so they'll just... They'll do it, you know, and it's really awesome. They still have that wide-eyed optimism or they haven't been socialized to know you can't do that or that drawing stinks. So that's something I see in our kids. They just have this um, sort of really, really amazing excitement sometimes about, you know, really fundamental things because they haven't, you know, they're just not too cool because they've never done it. So it is exciting to them. Um, And that's why they're, anyway, I just wanted to say that about all these, a lot of these ideas were just born out of the kids saying things. And they're the ones that are going to be really living
2: in it. So It was was one of the, probably the most collaborative process uh, that I've ever been through. Um, Public schools, I don't know what it's like there, but public schools in Oklahoma really get to, you get to meet with the principal, maybe some of the teachers, definitely the superintendent of schools, basically the upper administration in trying to develop the school. We very, very rarely ever meet with a student. And so because I knew these guys would let me do it, that I just jumped off and wanted to meet with the kids immediately. And that was uh, just an absolute awesome event that happened when we did it that day and something I'll always remember.
3: And I think uh, a lot of this also, um, our leadership, I'm senior leadership, but my president, it's just really important to her that everyone everyone chimes in because she, you know, her belief is you put experts in place and then support the, you know what out of them. And so she wanted everyone to have ownership over where their spaces were going to be. And it's been, you know, her, her point is that when you you're going to get a much better product when you have everyone's insight. And I have no idea what family support needs back there. I have no idea, you know, and I really, one of my biggest fears was I was making a lot of, um, decisions for education based on my experience. And um, last year, Gary brought, um, he did, was it a fly in? Fly in when he showed sort of the fly through video. video of what yeah. the building's going to look like. And he was unveiling it to all my teachers. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm waiting for the moment when they said, oh, geez, who decided this? You know? And they just loved everything. And I thought, it's because I've been asking them the whole time, would you like it like this? Or do you think this would be better and why? And they didn't have, the only thing they said is you forgot desks for our assistance. And I thought, oh my gosh, yes. And, but they were, they loved everything. And it was because they had had involvement in the process all along, so. Mm,
1: Yeah. That's really fascinating. One of the things I found really interesting with the way you describe that is with trauma-informed approaches, we talk about this idea, of, you know, working from bottom up, you know, that we don't have these kind of things that we're imposing on them, but we work from feelings and emotions and kind of lived experience all the way up. And it sounds like that's mirrored in the process of how this was all designed. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's one
3: thing that I don't know if Gary knows this, but in the beginning the kids, we didn't really talk about the building much with the kids, mm-hmm. and when we started to, there was so much fear. Like, we were triggering them. The thought that they're going to have to move from the one place that is secure. their safe place. They're yeah, secure. I mean, there was, I don't want to talk about it, you know, because we are their safe place, and when you when you come to our building, and I kind of want to talk about the physical space at some point, too, because it's, it's really limiting our current space, but the feel in our building, the climate is unmatched i mean it is it is just so special so the kids would say i don't we don't need a building this one's just fine mm, you
0: know everything will change I mean, you might yeah you might go you might leave yeah. <laughs> anything could happen
3: yeah we were triggering we were doing the very thing we we're going to move you know the very thing that they're most terrified moving again they do daily. yeah move again you know And slowly, you know, we talked about it. And as we involved them, we took them out to the job site. You know, they got to see the big trucks moving around. And now it's kind of a different side is that, am I going to still be going to positive Toronto when we go to the new building? I mean, so now, because now we have the whole other side is I'm about to graduate. I'm going to finish, you know. And Mm -hmm. so it has just been, but the answer was they were afraid of something because, you know, well let's just show them what's going on. You know, you're afraid of it when you don't understand it and you can't see it. So we take them to the space, we show them the drawings and Gary and his team comes in monthly and they do um they do interior design with our kiddos. They design my office the way they think it should look, you know, based on what I have it now. And so that's sort of how you take the fear out of it is that you let them have agency over it and and you know include themselves in it.
1: Yeah. That, that, that's really fascinating. We might jump off there, Amy, and I feel like you might have a lot to say about what's limiting mm-hmm. about the space at the moment. <laughs> I think right. most teachers would. Um, yeah. well, how, what is your experience of that, of, of dreaming of what the space might look like and thinking about what it is now? How do you think the space at the moment influences the kids in terms of their learning or well being? Right. So it's hard
3: to sort of understand um, mm-hmm. when it talks that you're. When you're thinking about improving staff well-being we are currently in an 800 square foot 8000 8, yeah it feels like 800. it feels like 800, it feels like 800. Okay. it's an 8000 square foot um, just long corridor halls i mean it's um, it's the education wing of a church that was built in 1903 this building is not battled, but it feels like it we have one bathroom Um, one staff bathroom and people say you're joking. No, I'm not joking. We're all queued up here for the restroom. I mean, that's, um, we did a remodel probably six years ago and we have five classrooms. Um, we eat in a different building. Our gymnasium is two miles away and we drive five different routes to go to PE one day. It's just really, um, for us, it's a real pain point um, because we just can't grow anymore. However, that being said, we do have a really uh, amazing kind of one room schoolhouse feel and we are a family and we call our playground, the backyard and um, you know, everything is about home and the family. And that as we go into the new space, we really want to be cognizant to protect that feeling while we expand. We're also as a staff, highly collaborative, other duties as assigned. All of us take out the garbage, all of us do everything, and, you know, um, bus drivers cover a classroom All teachers go into the restroom, a case manager, you know, is serving someone food, you know, we just all do everything, and we also wanna be really careful that when we have more elbow room that we are still so tight-knit. It's gonna answer a lot of problems, it's, it's going to be answered a lot of challenges and it's going to create, you know, some, some new opportunities that we're going to have to be really, you know, masterful about how we navigate them because we are physically going to be separated. A lot of us, our departments now, because we actually have space.
2: So well, they're going from an 8,000 square foot facility to a 35,000 square foot yeah, facility. Wow. They're, they're growing quite a bit.
3: I mean, how many children do you have? How many kids yeah. are there? <laughs> Good question, Kay. So right now, at any one time, we can have only 74. Okay. So right now, we are pre-K through fifth grade, and we're age-integrated. Just, I don't know if you do that, New Zealand. So we have one, two, we have a three, four kind of system. So there. Some of our small
0: schools do that, yes, because yeah. they just so have the numbers.
3: Yeah, when I did my student teaching, you know, we had year one, two, year three, four, anyway. So we sort of have that kind of format. In the new building, we will, um, we call... Womb to tomb, we say. So we will have an early head start, which will be a classroom that will serve uh, zero to three year olds. Um, that's a totally new thing for us. That gives me major anxiety. That's not <laughs> my real. I've dealt with. I've better with the older children. You can reason with. Um, so what we're gonna do in this fall is we're just gonna pick up this current model and move it with the addition with the idea that we're gonna scale over time to be up through eighth grade. So right now we top out at fifth grade, we will scale over time to be eighth, but we're not going to double our enrollment this fall, we're going to slowly add um, over the next three years. But And you're, you're
0: if, adding the birth to three space as well?
3: Yes, we're going to add the birth to three and that we might start as early as this January because that's federal funds Now that's awesome. a whole other layer because that means we're going to go back to having some strings. Um, but, you know, you guys know the earlier the better and we can get our kiddos in and, you know, working mm-hmm. with pregnant mothers and all that kind of thing. But that's going to be a whole new challenge. We transport every one of our kiddos to and from school. That means we're going to be dealing with infant car seats. I mean, there's just a whole logistical yeah. thing to wrap my mind around right now. And um, that's, that's going to be a totally different animal. Um, we're finally able to add special education. Right now I'm the only certified special ed teacher on staff and I'm acting principal, so I – I really can't, I'm not, I don't have any kiddos in my charge. Um, but when we're fully scaled, we'll be at capacity for about 210 kiddos at one time. Now, that being said, we do, we, we do cycle through kids. So for instance, last year, we could have 74 at one time over the course of a nine month school year, we served 149 kids. Mm-hmm. Now last year was bananas. It was just churn, churn, churn. This year has been much different. We've, we've served about 110 kids. Um, And really, one of the pieces that is a major problem for us is affordable, low-income housing. So, uh, it's just, there just isn't any in Oklahoma City. So, a lot of times, one of our case managers' uh, main goals is to get our families set up with housing, and oftentimes, that housing just isn't near where our school is. So, um, that's a real challenge, too, because they don't want to leave us, but they've gotten into housing. Yeah. So we did. We did add a position this fall called that's a transition coordinator, and that person's sole job is to be the touchstone still for the families who are no longer with us. Because what what our families often will do is, well, I'll, I'll get transportation and I'll we'll drive there every day. And like, yeah, that's a new barrier. You know, that's a whole and and what they're saying is, please don't leave us. <laughs> you know, um. So that's a real struggle too, because in a lot of you know a lot of programs it's kind of seen as a graduation when you, I finished this program, you were going on. But when we were at that time now, we're thinking about the next school year and who's going to stay and who's going to go. Well, I'm doing well. So now I have to leave, you know? Hey. So that's, it's a real, it's a real struggle for us. I think in the new building um, right now, we really only keep families about two years if we're able to, because um, we're really meant to be a short-term support. I mean, that's really, we, we have to turn usually more kiddos away than we can serve. So in Oklahoma City, there are thousands of kiddos experiencing homelessness, thousands just in Oklahoma City. So um, in the new building, I do think we will keep kiddos longer, but there's mm-hmm. also the natural attrition that happens in any school. You know, my kids have been to the same school their whole life, but that's highly unusual. So mm-hmm. that
2: was the kiddos. thing that was surprising to me is the kids that I met with for our planning session will never, ever Open or be in the school. I mean, that's pretty safe to say.
3: Unless they cycle back. Unless they
2: cycle back. But when we open this school, most likely those kids will not be in that school, which is why we have monthly meetings with the kids teaching them about construction and interior design and architecture, structural engineering, mechanical engineering, just to try to get the kids that are there used to the school that we're building for them so they're not Mm -hmm. surprised when they enter it.
1: Yeah. Wow. Carrie, I wanted to ask you, these are children, families with such complex needs. What do you think educators need to learn about how physical spaces actually influence um, learning or how how it actually can kind of hinder or kind of enable um, their needs being met?
2: Well, in this case... um I think this building does it more than any building I've ever designed. The the, the first thing uh, you're talking about, you already call your um, back your playground, in the backyard. One of when we had our process meetings, we talked about we want a home feeling. That was the the uh, common denominator in every meet uh, meeting that we had was the word home. So when you enter the building, you enter what we're calling the family room. And that's basically going to be the heart of our of our school, where everything opens off of it, the kitchen, the makerspace, the library, the gymnasium. Uh, we'll ha- also have a backyard and a front yard for play areas. We'll have a living room in our pod area where our classrooms open up to, and that's going to be the area where the kids come together in the living room and uh, and meet together as a group. So... The, the basic concept of home was important to establish into, into our design, the feeling of community, um, dedicated counseling rooms, outdoor classrooms, things like that where learning can happen anywhere. I think all of that influences um, our well being of the students. Having spaces that they don't have right now um, helps with that. One of the things, when you look at our floor plan for this school, the administrative side of this thing is double the size of a normal school, mm-hmm. um, and so they have their normal administrative side, which is Amy as principal and 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 other areas like that. But they also have a marketing component, um, an, an executive director, a development director, um, a volunteer coordinator. She, you were telling me before this started, you have over eight hundred volunteers that come into this school throughout yeah. the year. That's coordinator has to develop that's one side the other side is the family support side where they're not just teaching kids they're teaching families they're helping Mm -hmm. connect these parents to services in the community that family support side administrative side is as big as the normal administrative side so when everyone looks at our floor plan like why are there so many offices for this this really a small school and that's why because they had the family support and so all of that um absolutely adds to the well-being of the of the uh, student. Just the little things we added, like we've talked about the food lab, we've talked about the maker spaces that the students wanted, but the clothing closet
3: yeah. where
2: the students can walk yeah. in and, and get clothes. They, all the needs that, talk about the yeah. needs that, you. Well, I mean, they provide everything for these kids.
3: Right, and I want to talk also too, in just a broader sense, um, our kids are used to it institutions, there, and so are their families, right? They live in a shelter, their parents incarcerated, they're used to that, you know? And um, Gary won't say this, but Gary has a really specific licensure, and he's really an expert in this education space field. Um, and he's the one we wanted for this job, because when you typically look at your traditional schools, they're set up like prisons and hospitals, right, for control, you know, one point of egress, right? You've got a long hallway, and one door going into every room, right? And I didn't want that. I wanted, I always said, I want to hug around the whole building. You want, I want the family <laughs> room and I want no, everything. That's the to, first thing they said. We want yeah. the
2: building to hug the students.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 the last thing, you know, when I hear like the same people that are making prisons are making our public schools that just, Yep. <laughs> and they
0: okay. use that institutional green paint, which is lovely on the inside. Yeah. It makes you feel so let's very put
3: welcome. For some fluorescent lights. And, um, <laughs> right. I mean, just, I remember emailing you once, like, there's not going to be fluorescent lights. Right. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> like, I, we're not going to right? Okay. Thank heavens by the
0: children with autism. Yay.
3: Oh, yeah, We're going to have bright red walls. And we're going to, I mean, no, just. So, um, you know, my office, the lights are always off. There's always Mozart. There's always task lighting. And that's the problem because everyone hangs out in my office because it's so common here. And like it was, and now you're all in here. Um, but that's, I think, we were really intentional about that space is that I wanted, and I think I had I had to take, I think I had took a while for other people to see what I was saying because they don't, they've only known one kind of building, right? We've all gone to schools, right? And they, for the most part, look like the same. So what are you saying a hug around the school and I kind of had to show some examples. And I'm a Montessorian at heart, and my kiddos go to Montessori school. So I want the walls covered with all the things that the kiddos created. And I've been grabbing things like we're taking this to the new building and framing it. You know, this is coming to the new building. So, um, but yes, yeah, just a really, really calm space. We try to be really cognizant of trauma triggers. Um, so Gary always jokes, this is a really sexy project. But I think what makes it sexy is that it's it's just it's 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 designed um, with with the kiddos and families in mind and, and the staff that's gonna be supporting them. So it does look very different, but when you ask the pose the question, you know, by email about what are you curious about in your work is I wanna know where where buildings are headed. You know, I want them to be when we're looking at the way Google if you've ever been to Google offices, I mean it's just a most I wanna work all day too, you know, if I were in that space. So um, I just think that it's really exciting that we have this freedom to create a space like that. And we did have some pushback from some older mm-hmm. people, you know, they're used to a brick building with, you know, and we had to, you know, look, we're going to try some color here, and that's okay.
2: Yeah. And- <laughs> I, I, I did have a lot of color. My first rendition <laughs> of the exterior was very colorful, mm-hmm. and I got a lot of pushback from the board members who, come from corporate environments like uh i think more traditional look on yeah. the exterior so we got I to, was going to ask
0: you that gary what does it look like from the outside does it look like a traditional sort of house schoolhouse or does it look more like a can
3: you see up here i don't know
0: no oh. we can't but i just yeah uh, no, i was just curious to, your, to and
2: ask. You, and your folks aren't going to be able to really see oh it yes
0: either. yes we can see that
2: i uh, see but uh but it's, it's got a lot of color in it. One of the things that we liked about um, this building is learning starts in the parking lot up front where we've got a sundial out front. Um, we've got under the canopy up front here, it uh, has the seven colors of the rainbow that will cascade through this clear, uh, colorful glass to let light down. We've got the seven core principles in benches, of positive tomorrows out front. So, they're learning as they walk into oh, the space. Um, so, but I would say the exterior is more traditional. It's got brick and, and, and a lot of natural light. That was the other thing besides the, the hug. We wanted uh, the well-being of the student to have natural light. And so, I, I know your existing school has some windows, but I know when I walk in, it feels very closed, closed very and closed. dark. Yeah. And when you the walk cabinets. in this school, yeah. there are windows everywhere, floor to ceiling large windows and probably 20 foot tall windows in the family room that let that north light in so they can see into the backyard. But, uh, so I had a little pushback on the exterior. So the interior, very colorful inside. Um, yeah, yeah no, you can't probably see these. Uh, lots of color inside. This yep, is I actually the that. family yep. room. Uh, lots of color and we can send you these images if, if you wanted to post them That'd somewhere. Yeah, yes. that's great. But uh, our schools I are very different. More color on the interior than, than on the exterior. But and, all in all, I think we have a very um, it's not, I wouldn't say it's a traditional for Oklahoma building. It, it, it does have more modern elements to it, but it's fun and playful. Um, it literally does hug the students as they walk in. Um, that was a literal hug that we wanted at the front door. Um, but then it hugs them in other ways, making it more homey with the wood tones that we create more wood feeling in there, LED lighting to be able to be dimmable and, and more more like a task lighting for a classroom if they want to I use down. that correctly,
3: task lighting. Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> well I think something something I wanna mention and it's so hard when we have a limited time. There's so much I would tell you. Something that I don't know if I mentioned was that a lot of our kids come from um, the domestic violence shelter. So, our current space, the the address is confidential. So, um, it's not posted anywhere. Um, You couldn't find us if you tried. It's a very nondescript building. Yeah, I was hired
2: as their architect and I didn't know where to find it. Yeah,
3: and that's (laughs) by design. Yeah, that's by design. Now the problem with the new building is that if we're going to ask funders for money, and I say I can't tell you where it is, you know that doesn't really. No one wants to write a check for that. So um, that was really a lot of conversation about we're going to have to publish our address from now on. Uh-huh. And this, this new shiny building, people are going to know where we are. Oh, so in our in our current space, we just don't have the means to be. We don't have the adequate security, so we're sort of leaning on our keeping our address confidential. And in the new building, security will be um, paramount for us. It's really not um, if something's going to go down; it's it's when. when. this week will it go down? <laughs> so um,
2: they have more parental issues. Yes, we have identified
3: has. abuse. I mean, we have identified abusers so that cannot sit. But but for me, you know, there's a lot of. You know, do you have bulletproof glass? Why don't you have metal detectors? And for me, a lot of those things say you're not safe, right? I mean, again, I'm going to go. I don't want to be like a prison, you know. And um, if someone wants to do something, they're going to do something. And um, you know, I think it's about staff awareness more than anything. So, you know, we have huge windows, and um, that's that's what I that's what I want. And it's like an Australian school, Amy. Well, <laughs> huge I, windows,
0: no security. Uh, everybody's well, looking after each other. Well,
3: when yes. I tell people yes. and when I would, so I don't hate me that I go to New Zealand every summer, other, every other <laughs> summer. I'm going to make, I'm going to make that three hour flight to you guys one time. New but, Zealand's <laughs> our buddies. <laughs> I love that. No, it's just a safe vibe. like, just like us in Canada. But, um, you know, when at lunchtime we just opened all the doors in Plymerton and the kids had an hour lunch. Like, what do you mean? I was like, no, you just open the doors. Yeah. And they, you just
0: play outside. So off you go.
3: Walk down and get fish and chips. And come back. What do you mean? I mean, they walk down and they get fish and chips and they walk back to school. Yeah. What do you, yeah. I mean, it's that, uh, we just, it's so foreign to it's us. It's a
2: foreign concept. We're, we're
3: just, literally, literally. We're just so, <laughs> so many schools here are just all about control. You know, it's about, well, you don't, if, you know, when I control you, I say you're not capable of doing it. You're going to go and get your fish and chips and come right back. Okay. That's fine. You know, I mean, I need to trust you with that control. Right. So that's, um, that's sort of, I've, and I've had to do some massaging of that with staff that, no, this is, you know, we, we work with principles and expectations, you know, we're not punitive, we're not rewards based, you know? Um, and that's the same thing with, we work with our families is we really try to be strengths based, you know, they've heard all their lives what they've done wrong, you know, but our families have a lot of strengths. Um, so mean, yeah.
0: Yes. How do you, I'm just have, having, you know, sort of, worked as govind has as well in spaces like you have we we don't have the th- the threat of um well i guess it's always there but not to the same extent that somebody you know who is upset might walk into our school and and shoot people um so how do you wrap them around with this lovely sort of um image knowing that that's a real possibility in your space. For us, it's an American thing. <laughs> uh,
3: yeah. Well, that's. I mean, I'll tell you. My girlfriend, New Zealand, called me after, you know, the mosque, and yep. she said, "We just never thought this would happen here." No.
0: And I was like, yeah. You just no. It's like it's not what happens to us, you know. It's what yeah, happens to you. No,
3: we could really get political here, Gary, but I won't. Yeah. Um, no. So but, how uh, do you provide that yeah, spirit? No, no. Yeah. So. Um, you know, we, we talk about it a lot as staff, anytime, um, there's, uh, one of the problems is, I'm sure that you guys are familiar with domestic violence, is today, he's, um, my abuser, tomorrow he's back to being my boyfriend, Sure. so, you know, that's something that we're just, I, I think the biggest thing we do is communicate really, really well. Some of our newer staff is like, you guys really communicate, <laughs> you know, so we know, um, we know who can and cannot be on our property, and we are. I call I call 911 at least once a month, um, and we just have a really good relationship with every with with our police department. And you know, I think our staff is is we would do anything to keep our kiddos safe. The other thing is, I've had kids bring weapons to school. They're not suspended for the rest of the year. I take the weapon, and we talk about what is going on that makes you think you need to bring that knife here. You know. And we do it that way. Whereas yep. in another situation that I would have a expelled for the, that's really going to work. Um, so, you know, I had a kid with a knife again this year and I just said, you know, what is going on that you, that you think you need that here, you know? So we, I think, I think communication is key. We're very transparent about who can and cannot be on school. And sometimes that's if, if a parent is actively in a relationship with someone that we know, Um, has a a violent background, we have to say, I'm sorry, I can't let him or him on campus, you know, and I understand this is your partner. He cannot be on campus. And and I think just being really, really transparent about that. um, It's, I, I think when you're upfront about it, that's how you get it done. I mean, We, you know, the school shootings here, I didn't know this until the last time Gary and I did one of these, that Sandy Hook had every precaution in the world, you know, Mm -hmm. and it still happened, you know.
2: Absolutely. And safety and security, besides the communication of the staff, was paramount, as you can imagine, Mm -hmm. in the design of the facility. Even though, you know, we've got a lot of windows, which to some police officers is a negative. It lets the natural light in. It also lets a viewer see in. But it also from the inside, all of our administration's up front, it's wall to wall windows and they can see who's approaching the facility. Yeah, so um, they can see yep. immediately if there's somebody in the parking lot that doesn't need to be there and they can go through things to take care of it. So yeah, yeah. and I think
3: right now I sit I sit on the front stoop in my in a chair every morning knitting while I watch all the buses come in. And the kids love it, but I am spending an hour like first I'm seeing who's coming off hot in the vehicles. I'm seeing if there's any parents in there. I mean, it's just a great, hey, I want to talk to you about, you know, it's just a great time, you know. So we are just so upfront with all our parents and our volunteers. But, you know, right now we're kind of having to, we have two, two buildings that we have to monitor because we own a separate building where our kids eat. And so that's a really vulnerable spot. So we have to have... And now we're going to, in many ways, it'll be more secure because we have a lot of vulnerability in our current space. I mean, a lot. If you watched us for two days, you would see our routine very easily. Very. Yeah. Very easily because that's what our structure for our, yeah. our kiddos, you know, with the trauma is we, you are going to, every day is going to be the same. So anyone that yeah. got wise to where we are, they would watch us for two days and know exactly when their kids are coming and going, when they're going to be all those kinds of things. So, in the new building, again, it's going to be a lot of things, there'll be some new challenges, but a lot of other things that we've just sort of adapted to um, will just not even be issues anymore. But um, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, the safety, yeah, the safety is a thing. We get more questions, I think, from outsiders than we do internally. You know, just how do you, we got that question again this week from someone. It's we, We're going to do the best we can.
1: Yeah. I mean, one of the things that strikes me, Amy, is the sense of how integrated you are with the community, you know, how many links you have. And I can imagine there are people listening to this thinking, well, we, I'm not from a school that's got you know, homeless children, you know, just homeless children, and that makes sense that you do it. But what is your sense of the importance of doing that, of having links, of providing, you know, clothing or food or whatever it is? How how do you think that impacts the kids and the families?
3: Um, well, I I would look at, I would take that a few different ways, and I would say every school has kiddos experiencing homelessness. They just don't know it. Um, I mean, for Oklahoma City, for us, it's one in ten kids. So, um, they're probably just hiding it better or the teacher's not, you know, just not, not as aware. Um, so, so, social isolation is the new health crisis. So your interconnectedness with your community, you know, is one of the greatest um, indicators of your longevity, you know, predictors of your longevity. So, um, unfortunately, families experiencing homelessness are not only lacking money, they're lacking, um, you know, relationships. So we are, I have a mom right now that calls me to talk about her divorce. I'm her child's principal, but she knows, she heard I was divorced. You know, So it's, it's both humbling and kind of soul crushing that, you know, she, I'm who she has to call, you know, I'm just calling to talk about, you know, not, nothing's going on. I just kind of I had a hard day and oh, that's okay. You know, and we just talked through it. So, um, we are the family for, our families and kiddos. I mean, we are their family. Our our phones ring 24 hours a day, um, and we all answer them. I mean, truly, we'll get text at three in the morning, and we'll answer them. We don't have to, but we will. Um, and I also think with our community, we are very well intertwined with our community. Um, we couldn't do anything. We couldn't. We we raised too much money, so which is a problem I've never heard of in a nonprofit. We raise too much money. I mean, it's unbelievable. We have, there are so many buildings around town that are built and being used, and they're still requesting dollars, you know, to finish off their bills. You know, one thing Gary talks about is, you know, we had banked money, and that's unusual. Um, We raised too much money and had to add a middle school that we thought would be a future build out, and we raised too much money, and asked Gary, can you get this building designed in 60 days?
2: Yeah, that I mean. was a five-year plan, <laughs> and then I'm in the middle of construction, saying, so, hey, we need this designed in 60 days for the new middle school.
3: Right, and that's, we did a feasibility study, and you know, is this doable? You know, can we get 15 million dollars, and, um, and the answer was yes, and we did. The other thing, just sort of in a, gra- in a macro, global, you know, holistic thing is, my belief is that we all do better when we all do better. And to say that these are not our families is not true. To think that any of us is impervious to this possibility is not true. Mm-hmm. Is not a moral failing. Um, there, are, there are many, many reasons why I could find myself in this position tomorrow, right? Mm-hmm. Um, natural disaster, job loss, divorce, medical bills. So um, this idea that, 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 well, that's not me, that's them, is completely false. And, you know, that's a challenge to the universe and you're going to find yourself there. So I, when, I, when I teach, I talk about, you know, this perception that, that I think we're honest with ourselves. Sometimes we're think, we are we think we're maybe better than that person. Well, that person started out as someone's perfect little baby until his trauma just started nicking away at him, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, a, and then he turned you know, he couldn't, he got turned away, didn't have insurance. And then he started self-medicating. And then, I mean, that just, you know, I just happened to be better resourced, but that could be me any day. So, mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. Um, so for people listening who don't have your fundraising skills, Amy, unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> um, what would you say might be some simple cost-effective things, like simple things they could just yes. start doing? Yes. Um, so board. I think,
3: I think what, um, what the best thing to do, and this is what I tell people, is to contact their local school and ask what that school needs. So a lot of times we think we know what a school, what what someone needs, right? I've definitely been guilty of that. But for us, the the best kind of donor or volunteer is someone that says, what do you guys need? You know what, we really need somebody that would come in every Friday and clean out the popcorn hopper. Oh, I can do that, no problem. So um, I think the best thing to do is just contact your local school, and see what it is they need. Simple things that we have that anyone can do um, is we have a clothing closet. So every kiddo gets new everything whenever they need it, because typically they move all the time. And it's not a nice, coordinated, peaceful move. It's grab your stuff. You've got to be out of here in five minutes. So we have a clothing closet, and there's no shame in that clothing closet. We all use it. Um, A food pantry, I'm not sure how things are in Australia, but here in the public schools we have very – um, scheduled times. You eat breakfast from 7:30 to 7:50. I got here at 7:51. Sorry, breakfast is over. You know? Okay. Well, I'm hungry. So, um, a food pantry. We give all of our kids any school supplies they need. Doesn't matter when. Um, we meet all of the. You know, we start in a very fundamental Maslow level, right? We just not those things are non-starters that we're going to zero the out. All that. Yeah. So we're going to zero all that out, okay? Before that even becomes an issue. So. Um, there are so many, if someone wants to make a lot of money, I think that there's there's needs to be an app that is connecting the helpies with the people, with the helpies and the helpers, because I'll find we're sort of, um, we have to turn people away, but we have neighborhood schools that don't have paper. Right. So, yeah.
2: <laughs> you know. Or um, volunteers. Like
3: or volunteers, here. yeah. And I'm not sure, you know, we, we live in the Bible Belt here, so we have a very strong um, faith-based community. And um, when I taught um, public school, we had a church that just adopted us and said, we will do whatever you need. And it's, will you cut the salmonation out? Absolutely. Will you, I mean, anything. So I think the idea of, I just want to help you tell me how, um, is the best kind of help you can get. And um, for us, dollars are great. I'm never going to say no, but, but a good volunteer, oh my gosh. I mean, makes, is- oh, <laughs> man. I mean, it's always people over programs. So if you can get, I mean, I've had this, I've mentored this, that I might lucky to work somewhere that I'm even allowed to volunteer during my work hours. So I volunteer every week and I've had, I've mentored the same girl for seven years and I am a deadbeat mentor. I miss sometimes that her life is different. And even me being a deadbeat, I know, I know that I have changed her life. Gary's wife is a mentor. I can set my watch by her. Um, and, and just, I think that's, that's so powerful to be, uh, I mean, one, can, one consistent adult can change your life. I mean, for me, it was a soccer coach, you know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's amazing. So I think connecting the helpies and the helpers and really finding out what those needs are and, and then just jumping in. I know with our organization, we find out the problem is when people get in, they don't want to leave. I mean, they just look, is there anything else I can do? Do you guys need help on Fridays? You know, and, and it's just kind of amazing. And that's because if your culture is, is, the way ours is people want to be there, you know, it's, yeah. it's right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I wanted to ask you, Gary, just from an architecture point of view, what would you change about the way classrooms and schools are set up at the moment? If there were just things that you would change? Well, hmm.
2: I think, uh, creating more collaborative spaces. One of the things we did here besides the pod classroom layout, we have the space outside the, we have a, a Pod of four classrooms. And in between those is a large area we call the living room. And so um, a very open area where the kids can come together through multiple classes to meet collaboratively. Uh, but one of the things we did is use every square foot of space that we could to have a little meeting space. So the little corner of one hallway Uh, was where we added the treehouse. Another component, we've got a little place called Clayton's Clubhouse, where it's a place that we've created with bookshelves and benches and soft seating, where kids can have books that are donated to the school, where kids, not for the library, but where a kid can open it up, read it, and I like this book, and they can take it home. So it's not like a library, but it's like a place they can grab a book and take it home. Um, just creating spaces that are more collaborative and open and um, I mean the, the idea that learning can happen anywhere was our big thing here from our collaborative corridor where we've got uh, the history of Oklahoma written in the flooring and as the students walk down the hallway having that um, teaching element to it but just creating a space that um, really where that was one of the things that they said right early on, just we want a space where learning can happen anywhere. So we really took that to heart and <laughs> ran with it. And um, I think so much of um, the schools here in Oklahoma, it's all about maintenance of a facility. And and I, I want a certain floor tile, or I want a, everything, you know, tile on the walls where I don't have to paint it again for the next 10 years. That was really, we, we thought about that because they are a private school and their dollars are important, and so we did think about those things, but just being able to open it up and create uh, you know, that learning and that collaborative environment was uh, big and important for POSIT Tomorrow, so we hope that we did that. We, we won't know until we move in later this year if we've accomplished all of our goals, but I think through our learning process, our um, process that we went through with Pinterest and meeting with everybody. We think that we have checked all our boxes. Hopefully,
3: uh, this is kind of unrelated, but one thing, and I think the reason Gary had a building that we use every piece of is because that's how we do now. <laughs> we just, you yeah. know, we're counseling in the closet, of, you know, whatever. Um, Instead of
2: meeting, yeah. You know.
3: When the speech path comes, let me find a broom. So um, I think the room. No one's in the broom closet right now, if you wanna go in there. Um, and the, the the one thing that we do also have, and um, every, this again just sort of organically happened, that we had um, an Eagle Scout had to do a project a few years ago, and he made cubbies for all of our kiddos. And they are very big cubbies, and they are perfect kid size. So we would see that when kiddos needed um, you know, when they were needing some self-regulation or they were just feeling their cup was running over and they were trauma overwhelmed, they would just get in their cubby and they would kind of hide behind their coat and they would just, you know, sit in there for a while. And it was just their little turtle shell because they have no space of their own. They live in a shelter or a car or they're sleeping on someone's floor that they share with three other people. So um, these cubbies are really important to them. Um, and so that was, you'll see in our design, when we look at the pictures, is the cubbies, um, that was key in the new building. And in fact, they brought an actual cubby to to my office and I said, like, oh, whoa, no way, those are way too narrow. Like a tiny hidey needs to be able to fit in there and cover up in that cubby. Like if I can't get my bottom in that cubby, that is too small. So they just, it's they're just their little, you know, their little hidey hole and they all needed those. Um,
2: that was a good example of something that just kind of came out of nowhere. You weren't thinking of that. No. It was a utilitarian need to have a space to put their coat in their backpack. But turns out it was more of a, this is my special place that I'm going to go. And so we integrated it into the new building. So in that living room that I talked about, um, we have all the cubbies lined up for the kids. to. They, it's on chalkboard just like it is mm-hmm. today. So that's kind of yeah. right getting back to what they do today. They can write their name on their cubby. Sit in their cubby and kind of sort little
3: because when space. they yeah when they come to school the first day we have a 24 hour wait before they come so that we can get all their things ready so when they come their cubby is labeled and they'll have a backpack and a coat with everything in it and I remember one year this child said to me how did you know I was coming and you know it was just he'd never you know he'd never he'd never been the kid that had a backpack you know it was always all the kids the, that had been thought about beforehand. Yeah. Right, you know, oh, you're coming in the middle of the year again, great, okay, well, let me get you, you know, so one thing I do with teachers is they just have so many backpacks on the ready, but just the idea that, because being a new kid stinks, even in the best of circumstances, you know, yes. stop what you're doing, the teacher's got to get you set up, you don't have what you need, you know, and our kids are always that same thing with the eating in the cafeteria they're always the one by themselves right that's them so they're designing a space to eliminate all these things that they've experienced in other settings you know so i think yeah yeah.
2: and that cubby has become maybe the only place in the world that they have of their own yeah Yeah. that's this is my space
3: and we are serious about cubbies we are like you are not getting any people's cubbies. If they put a Lego piece together and it's in their cubby, you do not touch. I mean, it is like you do not get in other people's cubbies. Sanctuary space, like, cubby. It's sacred. Yeah, it's sacred. You cannot be in someone's. And I will look on the cameras. I saw you by someone's cubby. Yeah. You know, that is, you know, it's sacred. It's a big, it's a big, big deal. But that's another skill. You know, they're not used to having to you know, they have that, anyway, it's, it's just been a real, and as a side note, the cubbies are things for donors, Um, it was a donor, it's a naming opportunity, Um, so I have cubbies, I bought a cubby in my son's name, and in my daughter's name, and then in my, my mother's mother just passed away in her name, so it's also just kind of a special thing that like every year, one of the kids will have one of my kids' cubbies, I mean, like, it just, it's going to be really, really powerful, so. It's a lovely thing to leave.
1: Darren, mm. Amy, thank you, thank you thank so much yeah, for your time. Great. We really appreciate it. Um, thank you. We wanted to finish up. I think you've answered this a little bit before, Amy, uh, but what so. are you currently curious about in your work today?
3: Well, I mean, I have a real push pull. I kind of alluded to this in the beginning as um as a crazy liberal who certainly believes in public school, and um, I really want to see where we're going, um, because I think I've kind of become a de facto <laughs> trauma-informed expert in schools. And um, people ask me, "What can I do?" <laughs> and what's what I find really hard is, um, you know, it's really hard when you're an island in a school building, and you're the only one trying something. And, um, you know, you don't have support. So I guess I'm really curious about, I know one of our goals is to be a national model and international model. Um, But (laughs) that's why I've been, you know, I go around the country and I teach about trauma um, informed teaching. It really is just a collection of things. I'm really just copying what my cooperating teacher in Plymerton, New Zealand did in 2000, right? Um, But, you know, that is kind of what, um, i'm 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 interested to see where education in this country goes, and I know schools are just a micro community, you know, and I know we're talking about um you know societal problems and how we're tackling those and we're in this country in a particularly precarious time um uh we're seeing things we've never seen before or haven't seen in fifty or sixty years um so I don't, and I think we've spilled over, we're spilling out and we're spilling globally. I'm not sure. So I'm just really interested to see um, where we go. I'm excited for the millennial takeover. I'm kind of, I think that there's going to be some exciting change with that. Well, Gen, us Gen Xers need to get out of the way. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I hope that when people come in and they say, you know, how do you guys, how can we have this? And I'll say, well, what we do is free. I mean, you know, that, this new shiny building, Gary, it's gonna be amazing, you know, but, but it's, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's just a house until it's a home, yeah. you know, and it's, it's just gonna, it's just a building until it's our school, you know, and um, that's kind of what I try to tell people is, um, you know, the, the things that make good teaching, good teaching are free and they're fundamental and they've never changed. So it's relationships with kids, grab a book, sit down, you know, and, and just go for it. So that's kind of what, you know, I just hope we get um really back to basics. Yeah. I'm I'm just interested to see where this all where this education journey in this country takes us and looking at schools in Australia, Finland, New Zealand, are we gonna catch up? I hope I hope someday we we get there. So
1: great yeah and Gary, how about yourself what were you curious about in this
2: space? um you know i do a lot of speaking uh nationally on school safety and security because it's such a big deal here and i think incorporating that into a building without it becoming a prison is something that's kind of near and dear to my heart if we every time that um a district says well we want to bring in uh, the local police department to you know we respect what you're saying, but we wanna bring the police department in. And when they see my building full of glass walls and uh, yeah. opening, they start saying, oh, no, absolutely not, that needs to be closed up. We can't have that, we need places for kids to hide. That's true, but however, um, it can be done in many different ways. And so just opening up the eyes of, of our local officials and, and our uh, everyone on how to plan Uh, Not only with that in mind, because it is a real issue here, unfortunately, but do it in a way that uh, lets in natural light, um, creates uh, collaborative learning environments while still keeping the kids safe is kind of something I'm passionate about. Mm. I think,
3: Gary, I mean, you know, we need to take a totally different approach. We're talking about, you know, untreated mental health. I mean, we're, these are band-aids, these. These mm. designers, you know, a prison-like building—that's not the problem. You know, I mean, no, that's, no, that's no, not it's the not. problem. Yeah. It's...
2: <laughs> we could talk. That's a whole different podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's it's a whole it's
3: series. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what, today, today we were meeting with the state mental health commissioner. You know, I mean, one in yeah, I mean, it's 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 crazy. Yeah. I just
1: yeah. yeah. Uh, I think we could speak. Thanks, as on end, this has been so interesting and you're doing such important work. Um, Gary and Amy, thank you so much. Was Thanks, there uh, some uh, like websites or resources that you just want to point people to so they can get in touch with you?
3: Right. So um, uh, we are on all the social media. So Positive Tomorrows, you can find us on, we're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Very easy to find us. Um, our website's positivetomorrows.org. There are links to um, our building pictures. There's a link to the trainings I do, and I am—I would love to do that internationally with you all or your students somehow. Um, I one resource that I kind of is my Bible that I read is "Educating with Poverty in Mind," and I'm sure you guys know Eric Jensen. He's just the brain guy, old school, but um, he's been talking about trauma forever, um, and that's something I go to. But um, that that's yeah i follow us on social we've got a lot of amazing things things going on
2: yeah definitely follow positive tomorrows um for my firm it's uh maplusarch.com um we're in oklahoma city um maplusarch.com so you can follow us there we're all on twitter instagram linkedin facebook we're all over the place so um and we provide uh, updates quite a bit on positive tomorrows and uh, Come join us really in October when we open yes. the building uh, on social media or physically. Yeah, come uh, on. And uh, you'll see a lot of uh, cool pics and we'd love to, you know, maybe a year from now, we'd love to do this again to talk oh. about Oh, that'd else. be great. What
3: Gary <laughs> should have done differently is well,
2: what we're going to Hopefully talk about. we won't be talking about that. Uh, hopefully, I'm hoping that the, the school creates just an incredible environment for the kids. In their learning mm-hmm. and maybe test scores or retention and and hopefully the building may help doing that I know that that's one of the things that I want us to look at in some way to oh. see how are oh, you gonna measured.
3: make me talk about outcomes too Gary <laughs> <As laughs> Yeah, to oh no so
2: we'll see we'll, we'll maybe oh. have more information in
3: here Gary's now. so data driven Oh. Geez. <laughs> so, I think- be- thank
1: you It'd be lovely to catch up again. Thank you so much for your time. And Gary, I hope we can keep in touch.
3: Thank you. you. I know it's tea time for you.
1: (laughs) Thank you.
0: That was our interview with Gary Armbruster and Amy Brewer from Positive Tomorrows. To get access to the links and resources mentioned in the interview, please visit www.tipbs.com. If you are enjoying listening to our show, please rate and review us on iTunes. Your ratings make all the difference. Thank you for listening. See you next time.